So do you have any questions or comments? Anything you'd like to talk about? Anything that I had said? Anything you experienced in the sitting? Um, the question was about, I'm just repeating for the tape. <laughs> the question was about um, offering loving kindness to someone who's died and uh, changing the phrases and the uh, kind of emotion that comes in, in relationship to that. Um, sometimes what we do is change the phrases. Of course, from the point of view of the Buddhist cosmology, which you certainly may not believe in, um, someone who has died is somewhere. <laughs> you know, they've been reborn. And so that's why um, uh, there's not that sense of limitation. And in fact, um, both metta and especially this um, practice called sharing of the merit, um, which is dedicating the good that you've done, even the act of sitting, um, it's offering that the energy of that to someone who's died. It's believed within that cosmology that that's the conduit for a sustained connection. You know, it's the goodness of our hearts that is that reaches beings who have died and are now, according to that, reborn somewhere else. So um, that's why, from the point of view of um, the, the classical point of view of the practice. Uh, you might not necessarily have to change the phrases, <laughs> but you know that's not a belief system everybody has. And in fact, um, they sometimes say, um, uh, in, if you're doing this practice intensively with the goal of um, primarily developing concentration, they suggest that you not choose someone who has died because it's uh, more difficult to concentrate. But the truth is, for us, the way we do it um, where the goal is not so exclusively concentration and the attainment of altered states of consciousness, but it's um, both the concentration and the connection that we're working with, it's fine, you know, if that's what you choose to do. Um, so you can change the phrases or not change the phrases. You know, it really depends on what is meaningful to you. And um, in many cases, there will be there will be tears, there will be guilt, there will be anger, there will be fear. Um, there are all kinds of feelings that will come up. If it gets to be too much so that um, it's really just overwhelming, then uh, really there are two choices. One is to then offer the phrases to yourself because you're the one who's sitting here um, in some turmoil of some kind. Or just to let go of that and... Um, kind of be with the feeling in a loving way. Let yourself feel it and be mindful of it, stay aware of it, and look for, um, since you said you, you don't have that much experience in practice, you know, um, we would say look for the add-ons. You know, um, if we're feeling sadness, if we're feeling anger, um, Try to feel it in the body, be with it in the moment, and look for the ways in which we say, this is going to last forever, or, you know, I'm the only one, or, you know, all the things that just out of uh, natural, it's almost like the natural habit of the mind, we just add on to painful situations in ways that make them worse. 
um, that leave us more debilitated, you know. So that's kind of the letting go, not of the feeling, but of the things that we tend to be superimposing on top of it. I'm a bad person for feeling, you know, it's all, there's a, a long list, <laughs> you know, of, of things. And so that way, um, there's a kind of uh, kindness you are developing toward yourself and letting yourself feel it. You know, and then when you feel ready, go back to do the phrases. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways this practice works um, uh, is through the force of concentration, you know. And that means that for all the ways that our energy is normally scattered and dispersed and gone to the past and gone to the future and um, gone to judgment and speculation and all of that, it's like we gather all that energy back so that it's with us in this moment, directed toward that phrase, and we see what happens. You know, because of the power of that concentration, a lot of other feelings may arise, but that's okay. What you don't want to do is get lost in a whole story because it's a relational practice. It's easy to forget the power of the force of concentration and just sit, and be lost in some kind of story. So, for example, I first did this practice really intensively, systematically, with a teacher in Burma. Um, I'd always done it, like I said, you know, in little pieces. Often it's done almost um, ceremonially at the end of a retreat. And uh, I did it that time for a week when we opened the center, but I'd never really done it until I went to Burma in 1985. Um, And Gil was there, I think, (laughs) that trip, actually. Um, And I spent three months there doing the practice, very slowly going through the progression that we're going to do very quickly today. Um, And at one point, my teacher, Saida Upandita, said, okay, now go um, offer metta, loving kindness, to a friend. So I went back to my room and I thought of somebody right away who lived in uh, western Massachusetts. And then I just started thinking. I thought, I wonder what the time difference is between Northampton and Rangoon. You know, where is she? She must have gone out to dinner. I wonder where she went to dinner. (laughs) You know, did she go to the Italian restaurant? Did she go to the Japanese restaurant? Did she go to the Greek restaurant? No, she couldn't have gone to the Greek restaurant because that closed, I think. Isn't it odd? All the restaurants that open on that corner close. I don't know why. You know, it's like there's a lot of parking and, you know, it seems fine. Maybe it's got bad feng shui. You know, something wrong with that spot. I don't know. It's like it seems like you think someone could open, you know, and it's just like on. It's very easy to do. And, And while... Uh, it's natural in a way. It's it's the same kind of dispersal of our energy. Instead of just gathering our energy back, you know, this is what's happening in the moment. Really um, letting go, beginning again, bringing our energy behind the phrases or behind the breath, if that's the practice we're doing, or something that we're feeling, if that's the predominant experience of the moment, but without so much of the story. Just, okay, this is what's happening right now. And that... Um, is not to cut off from the story or, or to call it bad, but it can be so incessant and can lead us so very far away from what's actually happening and can be so wasteful of the, the energy we might actually have. It's a lot of energy that could be available to us, 
but we fling it all over the place. And so we experience a lot of fragmentation. That's why concentration is considered the path both of power because it empowers us to have that energy right here and, and available. And also it's the path of healing because even in that, like the movement of my hands in describing it, it's the movement toward wholeness, toward integration of our being rather than being so torn apart. Just like, okay, right here. And that's healing. So metta is a concentration practice. That means that we have to let go of distraction a billion times. You know, we let go, we come back, we say a few phrases, and we are gone. We say a few phrases, we're gone. We say a few phrases and we're gone. That's just how it is. Unlike um, mostly how we think of life, the revolutionary nature of meditation practice is inherent to the very practice because it challenges so many of the normal ways that we are. Judging, assessing, evaluating, Stepping out of a process to see how well we're doing, and thereby, thereby ceasing to give it our energy. Acquiring, accumulating. You know, often we think of ourselves as so deficient, so unworthy, that we relate to the things and the people and the experiences of life as as objects we need to accumulate to kind of fill in the hole or make ourselves feel better about ourselves, as though we could ever get enough. And meditation is based on a completely different idea. Not that we have to get some great experience and hold on to it as a kind of trophy and be triumphant and show it to everybody, but that from the beginning, all of us, without exception, have capacities innate to our being, of love, of compassion, of wisdom, of connection, of awareness, that we can nurture, we can bring forth, but it's not like starting out with nothing and trying to get something and then hold on to it. It's a completely different way of being. That's why it's about letting go. It's about being gentle. It's about realizing we can start again no matter what has happened. We can always start again. And so we do that again and again and again. I told this story at Spirit Rock the other night about um, uh, this store that is in uh, Manhattan. I don't know, actually, if it's anywhere else in the country, but it's uh, definitely Manhattan (laughs) in a few places um, called Kate's Papery, which is a, a paper goods store. Everything inside is made of paper, and everything is beautiful. Um, There are notebooks and lampshades and wrapping paper and all kinds of things that are all just exquisite. And the very first time somebody ever brought me there, it was a friend who brought me there, and we stood on the threshold of the store, and she said to me, this store is going to satisfy all of your paper needs. (laughs) And I said, I don't have any paper needs. until I'd spent about two minutes in the store. And then I decided I needed absolutely everything in the store. And just before I started speaking at Spirit Rock, they had a whole 
um, they were selling books upstairs in the walking room and all kinds of other things, like tankas and paintings and um, jewelry and all kinds of stuff. And they had, you know, I don't, I'm not wearing it now, but, you know, the malas, the kind of beads that you wear around your wrist or around your neck to do mantra with. And, and I walked into the store upstairs to look for my book, and um, I saw immediately a crystal mala. And I thought, I need that. <laughs> And then I thought, I was wearing two other malas at the time. <laughs> and I thought, I don't need that, actually. But look at that impulse. You know, I need that. So I told that story. And then uh, somebody came up to me at the end and gave it to me, which was really very sweet. So now I have three. I'm not wearing any right now. But, um, you know, it's that moment of, like, I need that. That's what meditation is actually turning completely around. So instead of being in that movement of trying to grab experience and hold on to feel better about ourselves, it's based on a completely different view of what we're capable of, of where happiness comes from. Learning how to let go, seeing that we can begin again, that we can plant a seed and give it time to flower. It's really, it's pretty radical in the very doing of it. And that's why, in some ways, you can't do it wrong. You know, it's not about having a certain kind of experience. It's about the learning. It's about the patience. It's about the ability to let go. It's about the kindness we are practicing toward ourselves. Even if the experiences as you describe them. Well, you know, my back hurt and I fell asleep and I couldn't get any feeling and, you know, it was, it was boring and it doesn't matter. Because the transformation is in terms of how we are relating to what we're experiencing, not in terms of replacing all unpleasant experience with blissful times. If we could, that would be nice, but in fact we can't. And so... Um, we have to ask ourselves, where really is the freedom? As tempting as it is to bring all of those old habits of mind into our spiritual life, we really don't need to. We can relax. We can let a practice unfold. We can have a spirit of adventure. We can laugh at ourselves a little bit. That's much better. So do you have any other questions? Could you say it a little louder? The comment was about um, that particular part of the practice where we were imagining ourselves sitting in the center of a circle, uh, surrounded by beings and receiving, kind of positioning ourselves in the place of the recipient of that energy and, and finding it really powerful. I think all of these things are, are like ways of just introducing possibilities into one's mind. They work for some people. They don't work for other people. They work at different times or they don't work. And, um, you know, which is why it's good to have a very lighthearted sense of things and just experiment, see what happens. One reason I like that particular uh, aspect of the practice is because it kind of can give us the feeling that um, the energy of love or connection does exist in the world, that it's not something we're trying to manufacture, you know, from within and try to create from scratch. Um, 
that it really is there and that and that we're in some ways working to open so that we can perceive it more. Yeah. <laughs>
And I remembered that time, you know, that they really said that awful thing. And they're not my benefactor. They're my difficult person. And, um, and that can be true because relationships are very complex. That's life. And I once was talking to somebody and I said, you know, I'd like to teach a meta retreat someday where we just choose one person. And the parts of that person that we are grateful for and we respect are like our benefactor and those we feel comfortable with and at ease with. They're like our friend. Those parts of them we don't know. They're like our neutral person. Those parts of them we don't like. They're like our difficult person. And the person I was talking to said, well, you know, you can just choose yourself. (laughs) Because we play all those roles to ourselves, and it's true. Maybe I'll do that someday. It'll be kind of fun. You know, so it's kind of arbitrary. And and so you have to just know that and use the form for the sake of... um, helping to concentrate the mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The comment um, was about uh, having a reaction to sitting so close together, and I think it is, you know, um, uh, impactful if you're sensitive to, to that kind of thing. And yet... Um, Even though the Buddha's first instruction was to sit comfortably, um, we all really want to be able to practice in a whole variety of different conditions because otherwise we're um, going to have to try to create conditions and then protect them and then defend them, you know, and then, and then whatever. And so um, I think it's good to try to sit comfortably, and it's fine if you decide you want to sit out there. It really is. Um, it's not a cop-out, you know, and it's, it's not a problem. Um, but if you go sit out there and some other problem arises, you know, <laughs> which often happens, um, you know, there gets to be a point where we say, okay, you know, let me try to incorporate this. Let me try to deal with this because um, there's only so far out we can go, <laughs> you know. Um, it's like I teach so much in New York City these days. And... Uh, you know, not in a retreat context, but usually classes. And, and then people are going home to practice. And it's not the problem of the crowd so much, but the noise, you know, and the intensity. And, and uh, not everyone's going to leave Manhattan, you know. It's like, you know, and, and we don't want that. You know, we don't want to have ultimately a practice where you can only do it in a closet, you know, with no noise. Um, or on a mountaintop, you know, not everybody's going to end up on a mountaintop. And so um, we do want to practice in the end that frees us to be, even with very difficult and painful circumstances. And yet, you know, I'll just say it again. It's like we don't have to put yourself in a particularly difficult circumstance. You know, if there's a way you can find greater ease, I think that's fine. Um, as long as that bottom line understanding is that, okay, you know, um, let me work with it. Because in, in the immortal words of Joseph Goldstein, if it's not one thing, it's another. You know? <laughs> and it's true. You know, in my early practice, I felt so much physical pain. And I thought, oh, you know, this is like the bane of my existence. When I get rid of the physical pain, then it's going to be all smooth sailing. It'll be so wonderful and luminous and Enlightened, and as soon as the pain went away, I fell asleep. You know, <laughs> it was just like, okay, this is the next thing. And I was like, all right, it's really true.
Thank you. The, the comment was about um, experiencing kind of the healing nature of forgiveness, yes. both uh, for oneself and for others. And um, the story about um, St. Therese of Lisieux, was it? Lisieux. Lisieux, who, um, whose mother superior yes. uh, was was not kind to her because, or maybe not to anybody, <laughs> because she really didn't love herself. And and uh, really that, I think, is strangely true. You know, we don't often think, especially of spiritual life, sometimes a religious life, um, as being based on a development of love and compassion and forgiveness for ourselves because it seems kind of selfish. Um, but... In truth, it's like the psychological truth in which we live is that those qualities for ourselves will be the foundation for being able to have them for others. Um, The Buddha said, I think quite beautifully and remarkably, um, he said, um, if you truly loved yourself, you would never harm another. You know, when you think about the, the nature of an ethical system that is based on that, you know, rather than feeling you're so bad inside and you have to restrain those impulses hatefully and, um, you know, but to understand if you truly loved yourself, you would never harm another, both because the consequences of harming others are like harming ourselves and also because so much of what we do in that kind of grasping or fear or jealousy or anger is based on on that lack of forgiveness and, and love and care for ourselves. So I think... Look at that, you know, 2,500 years ago in a whole other context, a whole other culture. This is what happened, you know, in his realization. It's pretty great. You know, and some things are um, uh, so universally true. It's, It's quite remarkable. Um, when you feel physical discomfort, um, the question was about that, feeling physical discomfort and uh, finding it a distraction from the repetition of the phrases. Um, there are a few different choices. One is as much as possible, you can try to have the discomfort just be in the background. Don't try to blot it out or annihilate it, but just let it be there without your energy, your care, your devotion, your interest going to it, but rather going to the phrases. Sometimes that's okay. Um, sometimes it's not okay, you know, because the discomfort is too strong, in which case you might um, just use that time to send metta to yourself, including that feeling. You know, there's so many ways in which we tend to superimpose judgment, harshness, impatience, um, projection into a seemingly endless, unchanging future, on top of the physical sensation, you know, like it's going to be this way forever or, you know, I'm such a klutz, you know, <laughs> uh, whatever it might be. And, and instead to be able to be with the sensation um, in that more kind of loving, embracing way, you know, using the phrases or just using a, a kind of tone of mindfulness that's very kind is really, is really powerful. Okay, I want to maybe do some walking meditation, and I'll be here if you want to come up and ask questions, and then we'll come back and do some uh, questions before we break for lunch. And um, 
and come back again. Um, the walking meditation in, in loving kindness is very similar uh, in that it's the repetition of certain phrases. Um, and generally the way I like to do uh, metta in walking is to ground the attention in the phrases toward oneself. So as you're walking along, you're, you're repeating, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, whatever your phrases happen to be. And then to include any being, that mean, might mean a person, a dog, a bird, you know, whatever, who comes strongly into your consciousness. You might walk by the person, you might hear the bird, whatever it might be. And just for a moment, wish them well, you know, maybe be happy, and then kind of come back to yourself. When we do walking meditation, um, you can walk at any speed. Uh, it's great to get outside if you can. There's a lot of life out there. Um, and don't kind of scan the universe because there is so much life. Like don't try to catch every bird and every person who's coming by. But, but let your attention settle within yourself in the repetition of phrases for yourself and simply include another being gently as they come strongly into your consciousness. You know, you pass somebody, maybe happy, come back to yourself. Um, you uh, can walk around the block if you want. I would suggest if you do that you do walk at a normal speed. Um, you can walk in the parking lot, in which case you'll be more walking back and forth. Um, and you can slow down if you choose there. You can walk uh, in the room behind, which is also walking back and forth. And just have fun. See what happens. You know, there's a lot more stimulation and so um, it's a lot easier to get lost in a story but there's also more energy you know and so sometimes it's a very and it's fun to see what happens we'll talk about that And so just before we sit again, uh, do you have any questions left over from earlier this morning or anything about the experience you just had in walking? Mm-hmm. Okay, when, when you need an alternative to saying the phrases, and those times certainly happen, um, uh, there are a few things. One is you can actually let go of this practice altogether and simply practice mindfulness, which is fine. You know, if you're walking, be aware of the sensations, either the sensations um, in your feet and legs or just the feeling of your body moving through space. Um, when you're sitting, it can be the breath or, or just the act of sitting. Um, and let that be the anchor for your attention, um, which is, you know, is really totally fine. There are other times when this kind of a middle way where you're not um, practicing metta through the articulation of the phrases, um, but you're bringing that kind of, of warmth or interest to what's going on. And so um, if you're mentally noting a physical pain, you might want to try to infuse that note with some uh, kindness something like that, or even energetically, you know, to, to have that in mind as you're relating 
um, you might find yourself walking and kind of recoiling from someone or something. And if you feel that, see if you can uh, come back into balance, you know, so that there's some uh, more uh, equanimous relationship to what's going. So it's like that. It's playing with your energy. Um, in the walking practice that we were just doing, and you had um, instructed us to, um, you know, do do metaphor ourselves, and then if a being comes into mind, bring them in. And I, I was just thinking about it just now, and it wasn't. Um, I don't remember what you said when we bring that other being in to change the phrase into "may you," because I wasn't doing that. What I was just doing, I was trying not to see it now, you know, mm-hmm. to be there and to like open up mm-hmm. and let them be in the space with me. Mm-hmm. You know, walk with yeah, I mean, the, the description she was saying is, is uh, kind of creating a space and letting other people be there as she was walking, and that's also fine. But um, what I had suggested was changing the phrase, just briefly, just for like a moment, kind of like, oh, may you be happy. Because um, it's interesting, because we have so many, especially kind of like body reactions to people. Um, and I'll talk more about that this afternoon. And so sometimes just saying, oh, may you be happy, is a way of shifting the energy so that you are more walking together, so to speak. Um, but what you do is also fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I found myself a little confused while doing the walking mm-hmm. meditation, and I think my question boils down to, can you be aware of more than one thing at the same time? Because I found my attention kind of split between the rhythm of my walking and my breathing with the mental practice. Mm-hmm. Um, the question was about being aware of more than one thing at one time, especially in the walking. And um, while you can be, you probably don't want to make it too complicated. Like, I don't know that I would do the rhythm of the walking and the breathing and the metaphrase because um, it just might be too much. Sometimes people will just have their attention rest in the metaphrase. Sometimes it will combine with the rhythm of the walking. Now, the breath is kind of another whole thing at that time. So you might try to match the rhythm of the phrase to the rhythm, rhythm of your walking, or you might just use the phrase. No, so it's really like an experiment and see what, what works best for you. But, um, you know, it's not like a tight, exclusive focus. Obviously, you're looking at traffic lights and you're, you know, you're aware of not barging into poles and things like that. You know, there's a kind of basic mindfulness you want to be practicing, hopefully. Um, but it's more like that, the, uh, the thread of continuity for the awareness is the phrase. You know, so that's what you keep coming back to. So I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Um, the question was about feeling uh, in doing the walking when she was doing metta for herself and looking down, a certain sense of self-absorption, and then uh, looking up and still doing metta for herself, feeling better, more of a sense of well-being. And um, that's fine. I mean, it's not, I think that there's one general way it's going to feel, you know, for everybody or, or even that you need to know the reason, you know, but um, it's part of the creativity of the practice to just 
find these ways in which it seems more flowing. Um, I felt like when I looked at other people, I felt this sense of connectedness, mm-hmm. but um, I, was, I, I just felt like I was practicing more loving kindness towards myself by doing that, and it just felt better. Yeah, then, then just do it. But, you know, I wouldn't make a rule in your mind because maybe the next time it will feel another way. And, you know, it's, it's just how things are, <laughs> you know, is that they keep changing. <laughs> um, and so uh, to feel very free, you know, in allowing yourself to uh, find these subtle ways where things seem more connected in some way and also not holding on to them because you don't know if it will, if it will be different a little later. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the comment was about passing the funeral. Maybe many of you did. And um, first feeling some resistance and then offering metta to the people there and the person who had died. And um, I think that's a very powerful thing to do in that simple way, you know, because there's so many circumstances in which we withdraw our energy, either because we feel ineffectual, there's nothing we can do to make the suffering go away, or we don't want to be bothered, or someone else's funeral, you know, or <laughs> whatever it is. But... Um, in, in just the, the steadfastness of the practice as we do it, just to feel that recoil and then come back. You know, and inevitably we'll feel the recoil again because we're afraid or we're removed or whatever it is, and then come back. You know, that's kind of the rhythm that, that we develop, and it's very freeing. Okay, let's sit together for a few minutes, okay? delve right back in in the afternoon. I think if you begin with offering metta to yourself, Relaxed and open to whatever you find, not trying to contour your experience in a certain way. Let your attention rest in the phrases. Gather all your energy behind just one phrase.
everybody here. People sitting just around you. All the beings in this room, these rooms. And including yourself. <clears throat> 